at a time and the project you're smack dab in the middle of is our classic doctor who watch rewatch my name is ryan ritter i am the watch my doctor who knowledge extends only up to the episodes that we'll be talking about in this particular week and everything that came before it and nothing further jimmy mcshane is with me on the line he's the rewatch he's seen all these before and uh he'll most likely see them all again before it's all said <laughs> um, jimmy how are you this evening i'm i'm doing really well how are you uh, good. Um, excited to dig into this week's four-part serial. Uh, we're smack dab in the middle of classic Doctor Who season three. We're uh, in, in the middle of the first Doctor era, William Hartnell, only Doctor as far as I'm concerned so far, outside of, <laughs> of course, um, DR Who, but uh, we're, we're not revisiting him again for a couple more weeks. Uh, this week's episode is about the Celestial Toymaker. Uh, let's just not beat around the bush. Uh, four parts uh, serial aired in April 1966, pretty cleanly. Four parts from April 2nd to April 23rd. Kind of nice when it all falls so neatly into like a one month chunk like that. Uh, Jimmy, hit us with some um, behind the scenes deets. Uh, some, uh, some, you know, the director, writer. Uh, composer what do you got uh we do have a composer this time it's dudley simpson we've talked about him before he's he's done planet of the giants the crusade the chase so this is his fourth serial for the show he eventually is going to become like the full time or at least the main sound um the main composer for the show but that's not for a couple years but you know he does this one as well it was written by Brian Hales, who this is his first contribution, but he's going to write five more after this, uh, extending into the 70s. So we'll be talking about him again. And this is director Bill Sellers' only serial as a director. Hmm. Uh, behind the scenes was another unfortunately interesting story you, yeah i think um, like there's a lot going on on this one uh well you noted you know when you saw william hartnell's character the doctor kind of start to disappear last serial you started to wonder if maybe this was the regeneration 
And that is exactly what John Wilde had in mind for this serial. (laughs) Really? Yes. So both William Hartnell and Peter Purvis's contracts were up after this serial. And Hartnell had a two-week vacation planned in it. That's why he's missing from half the middle two episodes. Uh Okay. And John Wiles famously, you know, we've been talking about this a lot. He and Hartnell did not get along. Hartnell's contract is up, and he's like, what if when the toy maker turns the Doctrine invisible, in the fourth episode he gets, he becomes tangible again? What if it's just a different actor playing the Doctor? <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, that's what eventually is going to happen. So um, yeah, It's going to become the defining feature of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, the BBC's like, what the fuck are you smoking? No. Um... <laughs> Uh, and they extended Hartnell and Purvis's contracts and John Wiles said, okay, I'm done then. This, this was like this combined with all the other things we've talked about, like he's having a nervous breakdown of the Daleks master plan. But this is what like was a final thing that was, he was like, all right, I'm done. He quit when they, when they refused to let him replace the doctor, William Hartnell as a doctor. Thus ends kind of a very brief um, tenure Kind of a tumultuous tenure. Very tumultuous. Uh, it feels like the last three have all had, like, including this week's, have all had, let's just take these crazy behind the scenes goings on. And, uh, you know, it feels like the quality of the show might be, is definitely suffering as a result. And uh, we'll get into how we feel about this this week's. But, you know, you get the sense that there's just like many hands trying to guide the show somewhere, right. but no one really agreeing on which direction to go. Yeah, and that, that's obviously what's going on because, you know, Wiles and Donald Tosh were the people in charge of the show when this story was commissioned. Jerry Davis and, and as Lloyd were the people in charge of the show when it aired, right? When it was actually filmed. So you had a big shift going on. And it's just, yeah, it's just a mess. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess we can jump in uh i mean i do have some cast notes but um i think i can kind of weave them into overall thoughts um we can just jump right into how we feel about the celestial toy maker uh as a serial or as a character as well i guess but as a four-part story in classic doctor who how do you feel about the celestial toy maker jimmy it's not my favorite Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's weird it it it's a story that has a good reputation in the fan base. I think that's partially because the Celestial Toy Maker is a really cool idea for a character. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I just don't. I don't think the execution of it was all that great. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I'm with you. It's I. I didn't like it very much. Um, again, a couple of outside things that aren't its fault. Um, we're missing three episodes. The first three are missing. Um, although this feels, I feel like there's more footage to play with than the last couple we've had, like, you know, the massacre where they were really working off of austere material. Here it feels like there's at least some semblance of what's going on. Although a lot of this story is visual, so it's kind of dead in the water. Right. And that's, the also, that's also part of the reason why this wasn't, this one wasn't, um, animated because it's a perfect one to animate 
Well, because there's so much action. Sure. So many. Every every episode has a different set. Even though a lot of the same actors are featured throughout the different episodes, they're still different characters. So that's new animations. Um, and so this one would be difficult to animate because there's so much action, so much movement. That's fair, but it would be so nice if it was. I mean, I know that you know I'm not the one having to you know pay for it, so it's easy for me to say. But man, I feel like this is one that I, if you could get like a nice color animation of. I'd be open to reevaluating it, but uh, as as it is, we don't have that, so I have to kind of go off of what we have and what I see and what I hear. And it's a good idea for a story, and it's one that intrigued me. As you know, the first episode kind of sets up the premise, which is, of course, the celestial toy maker has taken uh, the Doctor Stephen and Dodo, and uh, puts them into a series of games. Uh, the Doctor kind of has like one long running game throughout the entire four parts kind of serves as the backbone and then Steven and Dodo kind of have a new game to play every episode. It's an intriguing idea. And I know I, uh, I sense that I don't know if people have any trouble with, it does feel a little juvenile, which I know sometimes people have a problem with, but I think considering eight episodes ago, a story ended with, you know, the Huguenots getting like massacred and (laughs) slaughtered and hung. I'll take a little, I'll take something a little bit more juvenile. That's that's fine. You, you know, the show can do both. But I, there's always like, I like this one thing about it, but like the rest of it isn't great. So like, I like the idea of the games, but I thought the games themselves were a little weird and not intuitive. Um, well, and also the games, like find out which chair won't kill you is not a game, right? No, it's not a game. And they did the best they could to like turn that into 25 minutes of drama. And of course, the biggest problem with this serial is that Hartnell was missing for two half of it, right? His presence, his presence is sorely missed, like more than even, you know, usual, like it's noticeable. It is. And that's also partially, I think, because, you know, part of the whole premise of the episode is that, this toy maker wants the doctor because he's such a good challenge and he wants match wits with the doctor, mm-hmm. but the doctor doesn't, except for like the very, very end, the doctor doesn't have an opportunity to actually match wits. He's doing this really challenging game, which, okay, fair enough. But the doctor's like, he can't speak and he can't be seen for <laughs> 75% of the serial. I mean, there's no matching of wits between the toy maker and the doctor here. And, this... and, large, and love is not their fault. Hartnell's, you know he has poor health and he had a two-week vacation but nonetheless i don't know yeah no it's all lead up because what we do have because my other point and i think it all kind of leads into what you're talking about celestial toy maker himself might be just in terms of what the average person listening have seen this guy before maybe the biggest guest that we've had so far in michael goff who uh right most people are going to know as Alfred from the you know, Tim Burton slash Joel Schumacher Batman universe. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? Maybe the role itself isn't quite as juicy as Richard the Lionheart, so maybe Julian Glover has like the highest, you know, maybe the biggest match between high profile and great part. But this is still pretty good, and he does it. He does. He he doesn't ham it up, but he he doesn't. It has like a light hand. I, I, that, I, that was a very good performance. Um, 
Agreed. At least, you know, it's three of his episodes are missing, so it's hard to completely do it. But the what for what's there, it's very good. Yeah, absolutely. So you're waiting. It's like, oh, boy. Yeah, just like you were saying, like, oh, man, can't wait to see uh, Michael Goff and William Hartnell just, like, throw down. And then they take – he silences him for two episodes. <laughs> it's like, you got to be kidding me. And I also thought the other guest stars – I mean, you know, they're all well-accomplished actors that we'll talk about in a second. But I thought their performances were kind of annoying. So – you take away the doctor and you're kind of stuck with the two companions. Oh, we have to, we have to talk about Dodo here too. Cause I <laughs> yeah. have, I have, I have, I have, I have beef. Yeah. Um, but you replaced, <laughs> you, instead of getting, you know, the stand, the standoff between Michael Goff and William Hartnell, you get these two actors who are playing multiple roles. I thought that was a cool gimmick. And I actually didn't realize it until I sat down to write out, you know, some cast notes. So points to and them. Not- I have a note for that as well, but keep going. Uh, but I just, th- I thought their performances were broad on the wrong end. They're just kind of shrill and annoying. And uh, I don't know. I, maybe you feel differently, but, and like Cyril, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I, well, I, I wasn't digging these characters. No. Well, and it couldn't seem to make up their mind if they were real people or just fake dolls. And, and there were dolls all the time, but Dodo's like insistence that they were real people kind of, made that confusing but yeah, yeah. i agree they, they were really one note and but they all had like these really like broad personalities for being so one note um and of yeah, course hitting the same shrill note over and over right originally uh it wasn't supposed to be a different opponent every episode it was supposed to be the same two opponents um, named George and Margaret, title from the play George and Margaret, which I know nothing about, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, me neither. Uh, it was written by the person who's actually was the current head of the BBC serials, and he said, Yeah, you can use my characters in your Doctor Who episode, that's fine. And then later on, he said, Wait, no, actually, I don't want you to use my characters in your Doctor Who serial. <laughs> <laughs> and they're what like, going on uh, around here? uh, okay. Uh, but the people had already been cast for four episodes, so they were like, okay, well, what if they just played a different character every episode? Um, but hypothetically, if these two characters had been in four episodes, then you actually could have given them... They could have been less two-dimensional, potentially. Um, yeah. Of course, the character Cyril, Cyril was based around the popular character Billy Bunter. Now... He's another character I'm not personally familiar with, but he was very popular in Britain. It, sound, it sounds like a it sounds like a popular British character from the 60s. It does, doesn't it? Billy Bunter, yeah. I'm, Billy Bunter, <laughs> okay. And the and Cyril looks lot like Billy Bunter. I mean, it's a very intentional um, thing, but people were pissed. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, people were not happy that they were taking this beloved character and turning him evil. Um, really. Yeah, I guess it'd be like if an episode of I don't know. Oh, that's a big show. I don't know. If uh, t- 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 what's a what's a big show? Uh, Abbott Elementary had a uh, t- had like Dora the Explorer, but evil, like <laughs> Laura the Destroyer or something like that. But it Dora looked the exactly Destroyer like. Sounds like a badass character, actually. <laughs> I would love to see that. 
Fair enough. But yeah, you have you have a character that looks exactly like Dora, but you call him Laura. Although Cyril and Billy aren't that similar, but nonetheless, you know. Yeah. Um, but even then, I feel like today people wouldn't really care. But at the time, people were mad, and so they had to put like a disclaimer at the beginning of the fourth serial, <laughs> saying Cyril is not supposed to be Billy Bunter. There are similarities, but it's not the same character. Isn't this like? Isn't this country still like twenty years out from like being de- like leveled by war? Like you think like something like this would just kind of roll off your backs a little bit? Like apparently not. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if it was. I mean, they did put the. They got a couple angry letters and they put the disclaimer. I don't really know how many people were upset by it, but it sure it, it was enough to where BBC felt the need to put a disclaimer before the final episode. Well, speaking as an American, uh, I come from a country where we don't make mountains out of molehills at all. Um, that all sounds very <laughs> that all sounds very comedic to me. So, well, you know what? Good. I would have written in too because I, I hated Cyril. I <laughs> I would I would have complained and asked for a disclaimer too, so I could have turned it off. Um, yeah. So there's not a whole lot. The idea is good, and I get the sense that they're trying to, you know, kind of like how they're trying to find the next. Dalek character who was like the next big you know uh you know antagonist i'd almost say like you know can we get other these aren't these aren't good characters i'm trying to find like can we get like other doctor-esque characters to catch on you know you have the uh the the meddling monk and now you have the celestial toy maker they kind of felt cut from similar clubs and there's a shared history that the doctor that alludes to but isn't expounded on that i found kind of intriguing like the framework was there for something cool and it just never got there and that was my frustration with it yeah for sure uh, i agree uh yeah uh, it's, it's kind of hard to find anything else to say but oh dodo uh you know last week you know we, kind of, we, we kind of had our official full introduction and discussion about this character and I was kind of on the side of I I kind of I don't know if I liked the character, but I liked her introduction into the, this kind of unix. I kind of felt well, like it, it seemed like you liked her her um, presence. I, I I thought it kind of brought back that kind of familial unit. That maybe I'm just trying. Maybe I'm just hoping the show gets back on track. Maybe that's why I got like this side of hope. It's like okay, this kind of feels like you know this is like the bag serial version of Ian Barber and Vicky. It's Steven and Dota. Okay, let's see where this goes. And yeah, she kind of caused the, uh, the death of like the human race. And then the monoids took over because she, she, you know, she kind of introduced a virus, but that wasn't <laughs> her fault. She didn't know who was supposed to know. So I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. Jimmy, I have gripes with Dodo on one because she did something in episode four that infuriated me. I, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, when she, when like the Cyril character was like, ooh, I'm hurt. And she like got off the, the thing to, to go yeah. help him. He like stubs his toe. And this is, mind you, so that's the other thing. All the villains here are like blatant cheaters and there's no one checking them so the whole this is all this feeling of like the deck being stacked against our characters at all times i also found very frustrating i think it was supposed to be tense and it was but it just felt like uh, i got angry for our characters a lot of times so cyril's achieving sob and he's trying there's like this you know numbered pads that they're all 
hopping towards to get to the TARDIS. And yeah, he keeps finding ways to send them back to the back of the line. And at one point, yeah, he like stubs his, he pretends like he broke his toe and like there's blood coming out and stuff. And Steven says, Dodo, don't fall for it. He's, he's obviously lying. <laughs> and Dodo says, no, he's not. We have to help him. <laughs> and since he jumps over to his pad, it's established that if any one person is, what is it? It's like if you're on the same pad as someone else, you, you end up having to go back to the start. And so, well, yeah. So and, and if you move without, when it's not your turn, you have to go back to the start. If you, if someone else lands on you, it's kind of like trouble. If someone else lands in your spot, you have to go back to the start. Um, so it's it's just, and you can't. If if Susan had done that, you could almost forgive it because she is very much on the young side and she's established as a little. I wouldn't have forgiven it, end. but whatever. Huh? I would not forgive Susan. I would not have forgiven Susan for that. But okay, go on. But it felt it's been. It, Maybe you shouldn't, but you can almost see, like, okay, I can kind of see why they may have thought this is something in character. I don't know. This was just a way to kill a couple minutes, <laughs> and it, it it drove me nuts. Well, and, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing about Dodo, is her characterization is, I think she's supposed to be someone who would, who's trusting, who's trusting and naive and stuff like that, but, like, this makes her look stupid. Yes. And and you, I understand you. You want to have conflict, and also it kind of makes it like they're saying you're wrong to be trusting and care about other people. Like there's at no point do they benefit from Dodo's trusting other people, trust wanting to help. Like she, she wanted to cooperate with the different people, and Stephen thought it was a bad idea. Nowhere are they rewarded for her desire to cooperate with people. No, and it's kind of weird to see um, Steven's, like, strong-headedness, like, be validated, like, throughout. Yeah. It's a nice quality to have, but it's also nice to see him get humbled, like, once or twice a serial. And here, he's, like, always correct. He's, like, you know, screw this guy or forget these people. And, like, every single time. Yeah, should have done it. Right. And so, and I, I definitely feel like that's a, a weakness in this. And especially because it, it happens every, every episode, too. It happens every single um, time every single time so every you know four episodes in a row that have the exact same like different window dressings but the exact same beats uh yes you know, that was the other thing that drove me nuts it's, it's the same episode four times yeah and you know just kind of put a button on dodo i did notice uh, you know someone made the note that uh you know inner sloyd finally takes over as producer here and uh this is the first time that a female companion wears a miniskirt which is not something that i I clocked. I just assumed she's just in like modern, like mod dress. Like I didn't, but it's a good point. It is that is new um, for this show, and you, know, you couple that with Dodo kind of being dumb, and you just have to, you have to, you have to wonder where we're going with this. We're a far cry away from the days of Barbara and or even Vicky, and um, it's a shame. I thought there's well, I will do this. You know, I will say, you know, I'm I'm not gonna go and call John Wiles or and as Lloyd or anything like that. Um, you know, sexes or anything like that. Sure. But in in the same breath, you I can't imagine Barry Lambert being okay with Dodo being the only female representation on the TARDIS being like that, right? Always being wrong and always, right. you know, and basically being a problem. No, Susan was kinda like that. But even Susan got the opportunity to be right. 
but Barbara, you know, Verity and Lambert always made sure Barbara was a useful member of the team. She got to win sometimes. She got to be the one who saved everybody. And sure. And even in a famous, you know, the serial, uh, the rescue where she's essentially in captivity for the whole four episodes, it's not at a lack of trying. She's always on the move and like trying to bust out of there. So, you know, even when she's kind of in a more distressed role, she doesn't, doesn't feel like it. Cause she's, you know, she's trying and she's trying to outwit, you know, her captors and stuff. I don't think Dodo would have had that opportunity. <laughs> well, it's hard to say, but you know, and maybe, you know, maybe we, we're being too hard on Dodo because there's so much problems behind the scenes with a serial, you know, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Cause it's been a while since I've watched some of these and I was hoping going back to, I would reevaluate my opinion of Dodo so far. It's being more cemented. That's how it goes sometimes. So yeah, but, that's, but you know, a lot of my opinion was based on these early serials where she, cause the whole arc to, to get sick and die and um, <laughs> and you're super annoying with Celestia toy maker so maybe you know i'm trying to remember you know maybe it'll get better from here for dodo we'll see yeah we'll see and again uh arc i could kind of forgive because you know any one of them could have gotten sick you know like but here right. she's actively making the choice and they're always bad choices and that's <laughs> that sucks yes Oh, and we don't have to we don't have to expand on this just yet. We can get there when we get there. But this does have this serial does have a, the funniest ending cliffhanger I, I have seen on this show so far. It does, and that and that's the and that's the end of episode four. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, just wait till you see uh, how that one gets resolved. Um, <laughs> I, well, it was also notable. This is the uh, only Doctor Who episode. New and old to say the N word. You know, I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I will be honest. I did not clock this. I, I presume this was part of one of the rhymes or the riddle. No, no, no. So, you know, any mini minor mo catch yes. a tiger by his toe. Yes. Wasn't always catch a tiger. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, yeah, at some point, uh, I think it was the King of Hearts in the second episode was counting, was trying to pick a chair. He did the, classic eeny meeny miny mo but if you're not paying attention you probably think he says tiger but he doesn't i i again um the audio a little scratchy i didn't catch it um i think there's gonna be one of those times i'm not gonna play the clip (laughs) i think we're just gonna let you you can just go do your own research on that (laughs) but um, oh and it's yeah i saw that i I did say that like mentioned like later on in some of the online notes all right. Well, and you know, it's an um, it's a terrible thing. It's a product of its time. That's what the rhyme was, and people at the time thought it was okay. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I do like that I you had to. I like that you had to note this is the only episode old or new, as if there's a chance like one of the new episodes <laughs> was gonna happen. Did David Tennant just dropping n bombs everywhere? <laughs> um, look, it was 2009. We didn't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's true. Uh. <laughs> I do wonder though it does make it make it interesting uh, if they ever do get around to animating this serial uh, what they're going to do there hmm <laughs> that can be a, that can be a stronger reason as any why they may not touch this potentially especially when there's other ones still to do mm-hmm. um, you can always cut around it eeny meeny miny mo and just cut to uh, you know whatever or just catch up by the toe 
Or just leave it yeah. in there and put a note at the beginning. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Um, but they may not get No matter what you do, there's going to be a number of people who are going to be pissed off about it. So, <sighs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, for many, they may be right, too. But it, it's probably a mess they're going to want to avoid for as long as possible. That yeah. was the other thing. And then we can break this down. There's another example of the good idea, but I don't know if this is a loose cannon invention or this is something that actually did on the show uh for many of the episodes uh there's sort of a riddle like cliffhanger uh, they, they re- you know the characters read it out and then we kind of smash cut to the credits but on the versions i watched they also superimposed the riddle as if it was something for like you the viewer at home to ruminate on for the next week and i don't know if that's something that the show actually did live you know in the 60s or so that's something that loose cannon was doing I don't know if you have any. I don't know if you I, any. I don't. I don't have any insight into that. I don't know. Um, and of course, that's yeah. You know, that's the problem with these episodes being missing. I'm sure it would have been in the shooting script or something like that if they did, but um, I don't actually know. Uh, it's a good idea. I like it. The problem is that the riddles are so in. Are, they're so in show specific that there's no way you could possibly have guessed <laughs> what they were supposed to mean over the week. Like yeah. there's one about like six, six, you know, six sisters and se- you know, seven without voice or whatever, and they're about the chairs that we were talking about. But I don't know if there's gonna be chairs coming up. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just stuff like that where it's like it's a great catch, but they it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> if that's indeed what the show is doing. Could well, be at the very least, they still did end with the riddle, and so presumably some kids did try to figure out the riddle in the weeks in between. You know. Yeah. Um, I was sitting there trying to figure it out, like, hmm, because it's, it's a well-written riddle, but it's just, I, there's no way you're going to guess it. I mean, I guess you could guess chairs, then congratulations if you are, but I don't, I think most people would not go that direction. And then, of course, this is also in the days for the internet, so you can't, couldn't, like, crowds, crowdsource it. Right, exactly. So, I don't know. That's, it's just, it's a whole... It's a four episodes, an 88-minute arc of, um, you know, missed opportunities. It's kind of where I land with it. Agreed. Do we want to break it down? <laughs> All that said, do we want to now talk about it at length? Uh, yeah, do you want, you want to break it down, or do you want to do the actors first and then break it down? Oh, yeah, let's do actors. We've already talked about Michael Goff, um, Alfred, otherwise himself. I- had he done anything? Is he just known for Alfred in the Batman movies? Or that's, probably had... where most, that's probably where most people are going to know him. He was also in the, you know, Out of Africa, Top Secret, tons, tons of British stuff. He was, I mean, and the guy lived into his late nineties, and uh, I think he even retired a couple of times and just kind of kept getting credits anyway. He's just so yeah, a lot, a lot of childhood memories of him, and it was a delight to see him in here. Uh, again, there's not that many characters, and what characters there are are all pretty much played by four people. We have uh, Campbell Singer, who plays Joey the Clown, King of Hearts, and Sergeant Rugg. Uh, you know, again, like many, lots and lots of PBC miniseries, TV shows, stuff like that. Uh, he spent a long time on a show called The Newcomers, did about 200 episodes of that, about a year after the Celestial Toymaker. And since I found and I now find it funny ever since we did the Christmas episode. He was on Z Cars in the early 70s. <laughs> uh, Carmen Silvera played Clara the Clown, Queen of Hearts, and Mrs. Wiggs. So Campbell and Carmen spent a lot of time 
feeling this. Uh, she's in a couple of Doctor Who stories, and they're not names I recognized. Um, most known for appearing as uh, Edith Artois on a little British, long-running British comedy called Allo Allo. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a show I have heard of. I've never seen an episode. Peter Stevens played uh, Cyril and Kitchen Boy in The Knave of Hearts. Uh, again, long career in the UK, and he will appear again in Doctor Who in a little serial called The Underwater Menace, which sounds very straightforward. I don't know if you recognize that. Uh, I do. I do. Uh, um, that's going to be next one. season. That's next season. Uh, oh. No, don't got to say no, I'll, Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> you'll find out soon enough. Ooh, that's exciting. Well, can't wait to... He's not playing Cyril, is he? No. Oh, no, okay. okay. Oh. They probably wouldn't dare after all the trouble <laughs> they got into. Probably not. And then uh, Reg Lever, who plays uh, Joker. Not the Joker. That will be... <laughs> that was uh, Batman 66 in uh, 1989. He's played uh, Joker. And he was in uh, a lot of movies... Some that people may have heard of, uh, movies such as Doom Watch, the 1970 uh, Scrooge musical, which is an excellent little Christmas movie if you haven't seen it, and appeared several times on Z Cars. <laughs> and those are our main players outside of the Doctor and his companions. Who uh, no turnover this week? So that look, I'll take that. Yeah, it is, it is. It is stabilizing, and now we got a new behind the scenes. Is now at least we have a. The transition's over. The John Wiles era's over with this one. The N.S. Lloyd era starts next serial. So we'll see where the N.S. Lloyd era takes us. But for now, it takes us to the Celestial Toy Room. And hey, that's the name of the uh, first episode, the Celestial <laughs> Toy Room. Now, both of you be very careful. This place is a hidden menace. Nothing is just for fun. So uh, as uh, picking up from where we left off uh, last week... Uh, the Doctor's mysteriously invisible now, and uh, they're not sure if this had something to do with the uh, uh, the refusions, uh, the, the invisible alien race from the Ark. Stephen Dota can still hear his voice, but they cannot see his body. They can't even, uh, when they move, you know, notably Stephen moves his arm in a, you know, the area, airspace where the Doctor's voice is, and you can't even feel anything. So he it, it feels almost ghost-like at this point. Uh, the doctor, I don't know if he, I don't recall if he knows or if he's surmising that this is just an attack on the TARDIS that has broken through the TARDIS walls. He's surmising. Yeah. He's surmi yeah. Okay. So that's why he hasn't thrown the scanner. There's nothing on the scanner. Uh, so there's nothing. Who knows what's going on here? So the doctor tells Stephen to open the doors and he hops on outside to check out what's going on. And what is outside, Jimmy? The celestial toy maker, just you're just standing there. Yeah, he really is. He's just kind of chilling, waiting for someone to say hi to him. Oh, that was something I was going to mention, and this is a good time as any. Um, there are, you know, we talked about kind of some of the possible salacious intentions of Dodo's wardrobe. Uh, there's other other people have mentioned that there's sort of. The Celestial Toymaker's costume is racially charged. I, again, didn't pick up on that because Michael Goff appeared to me to be a white British man and didn't appear <laughs> to be anything else besides that. Like, he doesn't have, like, 
any makeup on his face or anything like that. But there has been some people who kind of have pointed out some I mean, evidence that he may he, Celestial Toymaker may be like a Asian character being played by a white guy. I didn't pick up on that, but um, I well, guess part the of the problem is he's not mentioning. He's not human. I mean, he looks human, but he's a immortal, godlike character with immense powers. Um, yeah. I also understand, especially in the 60s and stuff like that, um, people being a bit sensitive to yellow fever and stuff like that, because uh, he is dressed, I mean, in kind of Chinese gear. Yes, uh, he is. Now, Michael, Michael Goth isn't playing him as an Asian man. He's just you know playing him like himself you know he doesn't have yeah basically it's not yellow face he's not doing a voice and so i I think reasonably i think someone in the bbc just thought it'd be a cool costume maybe you know celestial for some people kind of has you know eastern connotations to it the word um whether or not this is an example of yellow you know Bill being a kind of racially charged villain, you know, I uh, I don't know. You know, the Celestial Toy Maker and Mavic Chen are both kind of vaguely Asian villains that in the John Wiles era, mm-hmm. um, and so that together kind of indicates something. But I I don't feel comfortable saying one way or the other whether or not there is you know. Uh, yeah, this goes far enough to be a negative racist portrayal. Yeah, um, I always compare it. You know, I think on this show, the ultimate example was probably well, um, you know, the Batman, you know, the first Batman serial villain was pretty clearly meant to be not only, you know, Asian character, but like blatant propaganda. So it's kind of hard when you well, have like it, that kind of standard in your head. Seeing this, the scene costumes that connote to it, it kind of comes off differently. But you know, right. maybe not. And maybe for not the, for us to make that call. For the people who didn't watch that serial or listen to that episode, <laughs> um, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, but yeah. you know, it, it, it sign went, off of this right now. <laughs> uh, you know, the first Batman serial in, in theaters. You know, serials were just kind of fifteen to twenty minute segments before movies in the forties. And this was during World War II, and significantly the villain Batman was facing was a Japanese spy in America trying to undermine the American war effort. So it was literal pro, pro-war propaganda. Um, but it was also done in, I mean, at the time, people had very negative opinions about Japanese people and a cross racial lines that we would consider acceptable and certainly that happened in this Batman serial. Yeah, so when you look at something like that, you know, there's narration going like, ah, Japanese detainment was a good thing. And you know, just all other stuff where you're just like, oh my god. Yeah, it does. It does yeah, seem like, to it does yeah. seem to be pro the internment, which you know I'm sure there was a lot of people at the time who were pro the internment. Um yeah, certainly probably, less I mean the movement had to come from somewhere. Um right. it, it was that deeply it, unpopular, it, but it's hard. It's you know I don't want to get back into this because we talked about this in the previous serial. It's hard to judge people in the time in time of war, but looking back at it, it certainly was racist. Yeah. And so this again, maybe we're not we're we're well we're almost certainly not the arbiters uh, of what this is or isn't. But it's something that like again didn't didn't strike me in the moment when we watched it, but then I saw uh, 
Yeah, a little note about that. So I thought it would be worthwhile to at least note. To, you know, worthwhile to not ignore. But um, yeah, anyway, Michael Goff kind of playing it like a big old British guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that, but, that, uh, helps. Yeah. that helps at all. And I did, I did, you know, I did kind of like his portrayal. He just, he knows he can't die. He knows even if he loses, it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I liked, I liked his portrayal here, like you mentioned earlier. And I like the idea of this bored immortal who just likes playing games. Like I said, I think it's very 1960s Star Trek. Yes, um, this does feel like a Star Trek villain. And Michael Goff could have played him on Star Trek, you know. <laughs> True. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, we have. The celestial toy maker hanging out. Uh, he's kind of he's kind of surrounded by like all he's you know there's a dollhouse behind him and there's these two little clown figurines and in a in a special effect that most certainly looked better in the loose cannon reproduction than it probably did live <laughs> on the air. These clowns become life size human beings or life size creatures that look like human beings. Never made clear, and they're told to deal with their new arrivals. And so the clowns go off to do just that. So let's see. Oh, uh, this is where Steven and Dodo find a little toy robot with a little video screen on its chest. Isn't that right? Yes. And uh, there's images of isn't like images of their past um, past adventures. Right. Which you know, it'd be nice if this episode was found. We'd have actually some clips of the massacre. You're right. That's true. Yeah, because they were in a this is the show 16th century Paris. And also I some clips from the Daleks Master Plan. So yeah, if you found this episode, you'd also get some clips from other missing episodes. Kind of makes it a valuable valuable uh, piece of property. This kind of reminded me the video like that uh that drive by like the walk by memory bank in uh, Doctor Strange 2 where we get um, America's backstory because she's like, you know, she's standing. Do you, do you remember this at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, this kind of reminded me of that a little bit. I mean, the 1960s, you know, small small screen TV version, but. It should um, be noted the doctor is tangible again here. Um, okay, yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because it wasn't always clear to me when he was and when he wasn't. And it wasn't until. Wasn't it's until hard when you can't there. literally watch it, but yeah. Yeah, that's another thing where it's like, it's a very visual serial. So it's a little, it's, uh, having him all these recreations hurts it a little bit. Uh, the doctor tells him to get away from the screen. It's meant to hypnotize them. And he knows where he is. He's in the, the, the world of his old adversary, the celestial toy maker, um, who is an evil force that traps people and kind of turns them into... Uh, generally play things it sounds like sometimes he turns them into dolls or like little toy soldiers or playing cards but they kind of seem like they're just props to be whatever he wants them to be this, this uh, was something i think could have been explored a little bit better because all the different toys spread out just seem evil they don't come across like people um who just lost the game to the toy maker you know what i mean i think what it like is, the playing cards thought... were just playing cards, or were they did it used to be people and they were turning the playing cards? Who were then, you know, what I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I got the sense that they were people because they're well, because I was gonna say, Toymaker talks about a lot like 
I gave you a second chance at life, and this is what you do. But I think he just maybe he just had another chance. I don't know. Maybe this maybe these are things that aren't living that are getting the chance to be living. Um, because if they're humans that have lost their lives and are trying to win them back, they it makes me question why they're so silly in these. Like you think they'd be exactly. more desperate. Yeah, exactly. They 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 come across like a playing card turned to life, not a person who's turned to a playing card who's turned back into life. Yeah, and I think that's what this whole thing is missing. I think ideally this is a story that would feel have lots of elements of magic and whimsy, but with a sinister overtone or a undertone behind the you know kind of behind you the whole time. And I feel like this goes for broad comedy more often than not. It just felt like kind of the wrong place for that. And uh, we we will get into. I think it hits ahead kind of halfway through for me with that kind of thing. So yeah, we're already kind of. It's it's just not 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 precise. No, it's not. And again, maybe that's what happens when you have so much problems behind the scenes. When you have the producer trying to get the main star fired in the middle of this production, you know what I mean? Like hard to work on character stuff. <laughs> yeah. One small and little also, thing. You know, it was supposed to be Anna. And, it was supposed to be Margaret and um. Oh, what was that again? Margaret and uh, George and Margaret. George and Margaret, and then it turned out not be something else so you gotta do a quick rewrite there and so you know yeah lots of things lots of things stacked against this one which which was otherwise kind of a cool idea yeah it's the same uh one small thing that i thought was kind of interesting you know we've kind of talked about how dodo kind of gets in the way more than anything else we do get a little glimpse of her past life here which looks at the screen right yes what does she see well she sees you know when she was in school the day her mother died uh, which, idea. which is which is kind of a, a nice little peek into Dodo, who she is as a person. They were drive through, but it's not something they really focus on. It's just kind of a little Easter egg, and then it's moved on from. I suppose if you really squint your eyes and really kind of do the work for the show, I suppose you could draw a line between like having that pain of her mother dying and like not wanting Cyril to be in pain, and that kind of overrides her judgment. But that. I think is me doing a lot of work for the show. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, so, but I thought, I thought it'd be worth noting. It's a nice little incidental character moment, even if it's just literal flashback information. So Dodo makes the obvious suggestion of let's just get back in the TARDIS and leave. And then boom, all of a sudden there's a hundred, there's a hundred TARDISes and they're all moving along on a screen. And uh, this is the Toymaker's first game. It says, uh, have fun picking out which one you want. And then the Toymaker vanishes with the doctor. And uh, this is where the clowns show back up. And this is again, one of my first early kind of like, oh no, is this, what kind of serial is this going to be? Because I thought the clowns were annoying. <laughs> Not as annoying as but, others because they're, yeah, least say, they're the least annoying of the. Actually, I didn't mind the ones from the third episode as much, like the old sergeant and the. Mm. Um, <laughs> they're they're probably the most tolerable of the pairs of. <laughs> they were my least favorite. <laughs> oh really? Okay. But I think they have the worst material, so that may not be a that may not be an acting thing. That could just be a. This is a well. We'll get there. I'll, yeah, I'll we'll get there. there. We'll get there. But the clowns, yeah. So, the walk, walk us through the Toymaker's kind of uh, gambit here. Because the idea is you have to beat my 
my toys in a series of games, Stephen and Odo have to, so you can get back into TARDIS. Maybe. Right. Well. Right. Well. So. So. Yeah. Each. Each game, the winner gets to go into the TARDIS that's at the end of the game map, but it may or may not be the real TARDIS. Um, and you know, obviously, if Steve and Dodo lose, they become the Toy Makers toys forever. And if they win, they go. They get to go into the TARDIS again. It may be real, it may be fake. And then once they get to the real one, at the at the end of an unspecified number of games, then they're they're good. They're done. Um, meanwhile, at the same time, the Doctor is playing something called a Trilogic game. Yes, which is not really clearly defined what the game is, but basically. Um, to, it's like a pyramid would, game, kind of. It's kind of like a pyramid game. You have to restack the blocks. And I think part of what it is is you have to stack the blocks in such a way that you, you have to put... You can't put a bigger number on top a smaller number. Yeah. Like, they're... And, they're yeah. They're, they're pyramids, and they have, like, number blocks. And, like, the no, you know, number one is on top, and it's the smallest. And it goes two through through ten. And you can't put a bigger one on top of a smaller one you can only move them one at a time it sounds like a real pain in the butt yeah could be a real game i'm not sure uh but i guess to do it perfectly the smallest amount of moves it would take to do it would be 1023 Jesus. um and so it's the doctor's tact to do that game without making a mistake and of course if he makes a mistake um i think the whole thing is lost right even steven and dodo like Mm-hmm. No one has a chance. All right, okay. But the catch is, if he finishes before Steven and Dodo, then they also lose. So Steven and Dodo have to get to the real TARDIS before the Doctor finishes the game. And then anything else, and the Doctor has to finish the game correctly, anything else, they all lose. So we have the, the premise for like a very, very conflict-driven, like really, really tense story. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces, but it's all it's all there, I would argue. But then we move on. Uh, I, I do like, I do think there's some interesting kind of um again, implied shared history, like the doctor and the toy maker kind of talk about the last time he had to play games, uh, you know, he said, I chose this trilogic game because all that traveling made your mind weak and you're too old and uh, this should be uh, I'm gonna win easily. Although it should be mentioned, Trilogic game, single player game. The uh, ta- the toy makers just kind of watching. Well, exactly. Yeah, there's no battle of wits here, and that's because they had to write the doctor out for the middle two episodes of the serial. So this one goes on. I don't want to say it goes on William Hartnell. It's just uh, the filming difficulty. He, he wasn't there. I mean, he wasn't available. In which case, maybe you say go with a different serial for this one, but. Um, I think part of the reason why they didn't do that was because of the contract disputes and John Wiles saw it as an opportunity to get William Hartnell fired. <laughs> this is just like this attempted coup behind the scenes. <laughs> did they have anyone cast at all or did they, did they even get that far? I don't think they had gotten that far because I think it was pretty immediately shot down. I'm not aware of who John Wiles would have wanted as the doctor. I'm just curious. No, that's a good question. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think he got to, a chance to even like start thinking about who he wanted to replace him with because it was cut off at the knees. Yes. Okay.
Sorry about that. So that's okay. Watch an asked and answered. So Stephen and Dodo and the two clowns, who are named Joey and Clara, which I find kind of funny because they're just like normal names, <laughs> are uh, playing blind blind man's bluff. And this is one of the easier games to get a hold of. You know, you know, wrap your mind around considering we have only like a series of pictures. It's an obstacle course that everyone has to, um, you know, you know, t- t- teams of two. Steven and Dodo being a team and the clowns being another team. Uh, one teammate moves around an obstacle course blindfolded and the other person tries to give them you know, buzz signals as a way to guide them in a soundproof booth. And if you fall off, you lose. It's pretty simple. Um, <laughs> ah, this is where they start cutting off uh, the doctor a little bit. Uh, the doctor, uh, it's not clear how he, how he calls out to them, um, but call out to them he does. <laughs> Just kind of warn them that the uh, the game is rigged, and the toy maker you know punishes him by making everything except his hands intangible. So we have these floating pair of hands that, again, weren't clear to me what that was going on, how that looked, or what was going on until we got to episode four with actual footage. And it looks it looks silly, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else you do it, so I will give that a pass. <laughs> so how does the game go for? Uh, our companions here, well, Steven and Dodo. Steven and Dodo go first, and they they pull it off. Right? It goes well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the two clowns go, and then they realize that the Joey, the clown, has like a fake blindfold. Like it's a transparent blindfold. Yeah. And so Steven and Dodo demand, okay, you have to go again wearing Steven's blindfold. And... Like Im- immediately, the dude falls. <laughs> off the thing. Like um, he's just like boom, and so that he loses. Seem Dodo win. They go to the TARDIS, but of course, it's a fake TARDIS. Yeah, and they get that, and they get that that riddle. Yeah, uh, which I'll read right. Here. With legs, no feet, a bomb, no lack. It carries no burden on its back. Six deadly sisters, seven for choice. All the servants without voice. Joey and Clara have turned back into dolls, and that's it for episode one. Lot to ponder in that riddle there, even though I've already given away what it was uh, <laughs> 15 minutes ago. And I guess it's episode two, The Hall of Dolls. Dodo, four in here, three in there. It must be the chairs. What was it? Six deadly sisters, seven for choice. I suppose that means six of them are dangerous. And only one is the right one. We'll have to find out which one by elimination. How? One of the worst Metallica albums ever. <laughs> and pretty immediately, they uh, they start putting together what the riddle is all about. They're in a, uh, yeah, I think you alluded to it. There's two adjoining rooms, and each room has... Uh, different amounts of chairs. There's three in one room and four in the other. And they're all different sizes and shapes and designs. I did like this part of it. The design of making each chair different uh, was pretty cool. And so they go, okay, four legs, no feet. Arms and legs are talking about the chairs. And then I think they figure out... Yeah, there's a bunch of doors. And when they open the doors, there's a bunch of dolls in them. Mm-hmm. They're like ballerina. Um, like life-size ballerina right? dolls, yeah. 
and they figure out, oh, okay, because there's there's six there's six of these ballerina dolls, and they go, okay, six deadly sisters, seven for choice. We use these dolls, we put them in the chairs, whichever. They pretty much they figure out pretty quick. You figure it out, or do the playing card characters that we'll get to in a second? Do they kind of give away? No, they figure it out. They figure it out pretty quickly. To put the dolls on the chairs, see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's where we get the complication with the two uh, companions. Of course, the doctor tries to call out and tell them what number chair they want to use so they don't die and they can win the game. And as punishment for that, he loses uh, he loses his ability to speak. So that's it for William Hartnell for episodes two and three, except for a pair of hands, which apparently and it weren't was, even his. And it was they pretty obvious, hands. like, the dialogue by Hartnell was like pre-recorded. Yeah, it's uh, door number. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the toy maker pulls out two cards out of a out of a playing card deck and goes, uh, "These two will do," and they become full-size Although people. There's, there's four of them, aren't there? Like he did oh, pull yes, out two yes. cards, but there's four characters. That was weird. Yeah, so the king and the queen, the knave of hearts. And the Joker, and they're all, they're all, they're all, they're all pivotal to this episode. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't quite clear what was going on here, but um, the King and the Queen again. Admittedly, character. we're using telesnaps here, so maybe he did pull out four. It's hard to say. That's yes, that's a good point. Um, yeah, no, that's 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 a solid reasoning. Uh, so let's see what we got here. So yeah, we have the King, we have the Queen, and Ava Hart here, the Joker. So, there, it's 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 basically a uh, again it's two teams trying to find the one chair that will get them out of there. And so, <laughs> this, is, this is a problem with this episode, right? This is this is not a difficult game. The only difficulty is there's the two groups who are competing, but at the same time, like it's not a no. It's just they put the... dolls in a chair and see which ones die, right? <laughs> yeah, and the only fun part, and again, I suspect it looks it's it's much funnier to watch loose cannon reconstruction is seeing these dolls kind of get destroyed because <laughs> they're all um, different, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all different, um, which is actually important. But like, yeah, the only drama in this episode is the drama brought on by the annoying playing cards. Like the king and queen have this weird relationship where like the king kind of wants to kill their son, the knave of Yeah, I didn't understand any of <laughs> and this. They're, and they're like bickering at each other the whole time, and the Joker doesn't really do anything. And <laughs> and it's not funny. It's going for like I think it's supposed to be funny that they're sniping at each other, but like it's not funny. So it's just been just right. on and, and, and on. And, and let's on. be let's be clear. This is a twenty-five minute episode, and it takes them the whole twenty-five minutes to put six dolls in six chairs. This is the only game. This is the only game, yeah. And so <laughs> it's they, insane. They and we're not started... cutting back. We're not cutting back and forth to the uh, Trilogic game. That's we don't. I don't think we see them again <laughs> until. I think maybe ever so often, like we see the Celestial Toy Maker. But yeah, the majority of this is focused on. Like I think, it's, like every so often, you'll have like the toy maker say something snide to the doctor or something, right? I mean, like, oh, everyone's friends are gonna get out of this one, but yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, and so, I don't know. I mean, and again, I think they're trying to get some drama out of, you know, Dodo's suggestion because Dodo and Steven are at odds, and they'll remain at odds for the remainder of this uh, serial. 
Steven thinks they're imaginary. Dodo thinks that they're real. So if they are real, there is some drama because they have a lot, you know, now everyone has something to lose. But right. they make that clear. <laughs> or it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right now, like, I'm hoping they go back to being cards. Please. That would be, well, be Eventually they do, which you would think would justify. I mean, we saw them turn into dolls when they were clowns. They get turned back into cards at the end of this game. So you would think that would justify Steven's position, but it never quite does. Um, and so, yeah, they, they decide to, like, split the rooms with each other. Right. Steven and Dodo get the first three, and uh, the King, Queen of Hearts gets the other, that gets the four. Um, and they just put dolls in. And... Yeah, like one... That's right. Do you, do you have a favorite doll death? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think... <laughs> I think I like the one where like this, the doll gets thrown or uh, thrown like jettisoned <laughs> out. I think that was my favorite. That or the one that just like gets they just shakes a lot and then it just like falls <laughs> apart. But you know, one gets like electrocuted. I think one gets like caught on fire or something. It's just, mm-hmm. you have to wonder how the show would have pulled this off because right now what we have are sort of pseudo CGI. It actually looks kind of interesting. It's goofy looking, but it it, it gets the point across. As to what is going on, so I, I commend Loose Cannon again for that. Thank you for your help. But it definitely uh, seemed like there there weren't enough dolls here because we had a situation where the King and Queen of Hearts were both like scheming to get their get the Joker to sit on one of the chairs, and Dodo eventually sits on a chair. And I'm not yes. sure how that happened when they were. I was confused by this dolls. But yeah, and so that's some drama too, is there's not enough dolls, even though it seemed like there was, but apparently there wasn't. Yeah, there uh, wasn't there at all to me. And so, you know, the king and queen of hearts are scheming to try to get the Joker on one of the chairs, and he immediately figures out what's going on. So then you get the king scheming to get his son to sit on one of the chairs. Yeah, the knave. And the knave, and the mother is not okay with that. So they both decide to sit on a chair together. And it turned out it was the wrong chair. They had like a 50 50 shot, I think. Yeah, I'd love to see it. And they died. Yeah, I did. You you did mention, I'm only mentioning this because there is sort of a, uh, you know, the the toy maker has a cheating streak to him as well. Because I think uh, think the doctor tries to, uh, well, it's not really cheating, I guess. Um, I think it's another, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Uh, the toy maker basically moves. He's able to. He's able to advance the doctor past where he is. So he moves him to move six ninety. So he has this. He can arbitrarily just like push him to the end of the game if he wants. Right. right. Well, and of course his 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 contention was the doctor is being too slow, and so every time the doctor's too slow, he moves the game forward, which of course is a very important plot point for later on. But yes, it is. Uh, he informed. He informs the doctor. It's like, oh, Dodo's chosen wrong. It's the freezing chair, and indeed, right, she yeah. sits on the, the chair and she gets cold. Yeah, exactly. Like the the one chair that doesn't like immediately kill you is the one Dodo sits on, of course. But yeah, yeah. so lacking dolls and not knowing. I think this was before the king and queen sat in their chair. Dodo yeah. just says, "Fuck it, let's see if this is the one," and sits in it, and it's the <laughs> one that freezes you to death. But luckily, it doesn't like trap you there, and Stephen just like pulls her out. Yeah, again, just it's that plot armor thing that, you know, we we accept as part of watching fiction, but it it could be a little less blatant than that. Um, Yeah, I don't don't have a problem with plot armor, but like, 
That was lame. Yeah, that was just like that was, that was like a that was pretty one to one. It wasn't that it wasn't it wasn't that great. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so they win the game. Tardis lights because up. there's only one chair left. Yeah, so they they, they go sit in it. And uh, yeah, but the the Tardis is also another fake. The princess is in another castle, as uh, an old video game once said. <laughs> And they are they try to resolve the uh, calling the servants without voice, and they this this doesn't seem like it ever really paid off because they they try to call the dolls earlier and like they don't respond to the voice, and they do it here and then they do, but I don't... and the dolls don't let them leave. I agree, it didn't really pay off. Yeah, but uh, we do have the next clue. Um, you know, the, the toy maker. This this actually kind of feels like the framework for like didn't have video games in the 60s but i can see this being like a video game level of like a doctor who game if someone made like a classic doctor who video game this would be like a whole world where he events the stage and the toy maker shows up and goes ah you may have won this round but there's many games left to go um that's what this felt <laughs> like yeah and we have our next riddle um that's the key to fit the door that leads out on the dancing floor then escapes the rhythmic Feels a little bit more uh, on the nose than the first one. It feels pretty clear where we're going with this, right? And uh, unless I missed anything, that's the end of uh, episode two. Yeah, the ballerina dolls come to life and follow them, which makes sense because it seems like uh, uh, dance and movement is going to be crucial to the next episode, <clears throat> and it uh, does uh, eventually. And this <laughs> is this is the episode that I was just like. We gotta move on. The, uh, episode three, the dancing floor. There's another fake. Wonder how many of these things he made. Far too many. I'm beginning to wonder if we ever see the real one again. Um. Yeah. Episode starts. The toy maker picks out two more arbitrary companions, played by the same actors. Here we have uh, Sergeant Rugg and Mrs. Wiggs. And uh, Mrs. Wiggs is. She's like, she seems like a house, like a house cook. Yeah, it seemed like it. And Sergeant Rugg, it just seems like a guy that just like hangs out with her, like to watch, like like almost like security or something. What was yeah. his relationship? I mean, kind of wants to get with her. Is that right? I don't know. It's, it doesn't. It's just two dolls that the guy had, and Miss Ruggs was a his kitchen cook, and Sergeant. So Miss Wiggs is a kitchen cook and Sergeant Ruggs is just a soldier who likes to hang out in the kitchen. I don't know. So there's this room. The, the kitchen is basically the room before this dancing room. And the key is hidden somewhere in the kitchen. And like half the episode, like literally half, is dedicated to Steven and Dodo trying to like, it's not even trying to interact. It's like Rugg and Rig doing like this whole like seen from a yeah. play that like no one's like, ever heard yeah of. like the, like the the idea was like because these two just start fighting and they start throwing stuff at each other and so it's supposed to like distract steven and dodo from trying to find the key but like and i think that the idea is a delay tactic because if steven dodo the longer it takes steven dodo to find the key the more of the game try logic game the doctor gets done so it's literally just the the toy maker making things more difficult arbitrarily making things more difficult for Steven and Dodo. Which, uh, which again, makes sense from what the show is trying to do. But uh, this, I found this very frustrating. And um, 
the characters themselves are okay. They almost felt like characters that you can see existing on a stage. But the again, material not funny. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, they're just arguing and throwing stuff at each other each time, and then like at one point, Dodo tries to like reconcile them, and it doesn't work. Right, <laughs> and it, it is kind of a, a broad vaudevillian routine, like you said. You could see these characters on stage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, and it sounds like it's a shame because I feel like I'm just kind of crapping on these two guest stars who were doing remarkably remarkable work considering the workload that was kind of put on them all of a sudden. They they are good performers. They you know, th- this is not their fault, but I think given the fact that the show had other things on its mind, like c- keeping the lights on and keeping keeping a cast together, um, it's, a sh- it's obviously they don't really have enough time to kind of form these characters or go somewhere with them. So they, I think they had to re- well, revert to going, going broad. And it's, well, it's, there's also it's something tough. else too, where it's possible the broad performance works better if you can see it. Very possible because these characters are not in episode four, so we do not yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, you know, all we have is the kind of the shoddy dialogue. We don't have any of the actual slapstick humor to watch. And so, yeah. uh, you know, on, on that Physical level, humor could carry it. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. There could there could have been something. There could have been something in their performance that would have elevated this that we just can't see. Uh, as as all this chaos is going on, uh, the toy maker again says Doctor's not moving quickly enough and advances the game to move eight thirteen, which gives him like what two hundred moves left. About yeah, two hundred twenty. See, oh, should be noted. There's another character in the kitchen uh, asleep underneath, kind of like the kitchen island, I guess, or the '60s version of that. Who looks a lot like the Knave of Hearts, but uh, <laughs> he appears to just be a wayward kitchen boy who kind of helps kind of helps Dodo and Steven here a little bit, giving them a little uh, you know, helping them kind of get on task. Kind of. Oh. He, he doesn't really do anything, actually. I think he was a little bit of a red herring. You're supposed to think he was the key to finding the key, and he wasn't. I mean, he just, like, locks himself in, like, the pantry, right? Yeah. He was just, yeah. In fact, eventually, the the I think it was Sergeant Ruggs makes a mistake, right? Because they were destroying everything in the kitchen. But then he was about to throw a pie at Mrs. Mm. Blue. And she was like, mm-hmm. no, not that one. And so Stephen Dodo were like, oh, wait a minute. The key's in the pie. Okay. <laughs> I kind of like that. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Um, and, of course, it kind of had a dark ending because this is where this toy maker, I think, was like, I gave you a chance and you screwed it up. Uh, yeah, so. he said he tells them like you better keep them from reaching the TARDIS in the next game, or I will break you like all these plates. Is what he yeah. says specifically, which is good. It's okay, toy maker, go off, man. <laughs> yeah. Which gets us to the main event of this episode: uh, the dancing floor and the ballerinas. And again, this is another one where it's a little hard to tell what's going on because this it's it's a a game, I guess, where um. You basically take a partner and you dance your way to the, you know, you start at the back of the stage, you move away to the front of the stage where the, the TARDIS perhaps might be. But, you know, and again, Luzcan does a good job with, you know, stage directions and stuff. So you have a, you have a general sense of what is supposed to be happening, but you don't really get to enjoy the action because the action is not there. So this all falls a little flat. Yeah. But basically once you step on the dancing platform, 
you kind of lose some autonomy and you just have to do the dance. Right. Um, and, but involving switching partners and stuff as well. Right. Which can send which, you back. Some, something I did like was, and of course, as soon as you get to the first first person able to get to the, the TARDIS, you know, get to one a certain place on the dance floor, wins. Something I actually did like is Stephen and Dodo, actually Stephen was able to kind of figure out how to manipulate events to where he and Dodo would be dancing with each other. Because there was also some ballerinas on there. And then Sergeant Ruggs and Mrs. Uh, um, Mrs. Uh, the Will, Mrs. Wiggs and Mrs. Wiggs. Rugg. Mrs. R- Wiggs and Sergeant Rugg also do this part too. So they're all four on the dance with some like dancing dolls. And eventually Steven's able to kind of direct Dodo to where that when the partner switch, they're dancing with each other and they're able to dance to the TARDIS together. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Rugg and Mrs. Wiggs are left to as the riddle stated forever tap their feet and they uh, you know they they spend the rest of their uh non-doll days uh which is not not many they have only a few seconds before they get turned back into dolls but they spend that, that time dancing so i thought there was a whole i thought this was kind of resolving a thing didn't Ron kind of want to dance with her or like mention like taking her out dancing or am i am i making stuff up to make this i honestly like don't remember i honestly don't remember okay <laughs> We'll check the tape. <laughs> um, that's the dancing floor, and uh, let's see. Well, so it ends with the cliffhanger where the uh, playmaker yes, takes out Cyril, and it's like, ah, uh, Cyril, he he hates to lose. He's he's gonna really defeat your friends. And you know, we see we meet Cyril at the end, which prompted BBC to put that disclaimer before the fourth episode. Before <laughs> uh, was so upset, seeing an evil Billy Bunter. <laughs> and yeah, and so basically, like, kind of ends with the doctors on move nine hundred something. Nine hundred two, I think. Nine hundred two, and it's like, oh, you're running out of time, and you kind of ends with like the evil laugh from Cyril, and they go through the fake TARDIS, and they reason that the next one has to be the final TARDIS, probably because they know that it's episode four of a four part serial. Um. Hmm. But mostly because the Doctor's Trilogic game is almost done. If they have to play another game after this, they're screwed. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be very funny if like this was also a fake TARDIS. Like, ah, you lose. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that'd be very in character with this toy maker as we've seen him. But, right, oh well. But then the show can't move forward. Right. I actually think yeah. something they could have tried to do is like, have Steven and Dodo and the Doctor figure out a way to like, get out of there without like playing the toy makers games you know what i mean like there is sort of the message of you know the only way to like win a crooked game is not to play it at all (laughs) yeah it's not actually there no it's not but i feel like that that could have been another alternative for an ending for the story but Mm -hmm. they did not go down that route and a more stable time like if this was like a season two story you have to wonder how it would have come off when things were a yeah. little more stable, people were a little happier. But it's not. It's a season three one. Episode four, the final test. That gives it away right there. Well, here we are. Here's the next game. Tardis Hopscotch. What are we supposed to do with it? Well, it's very simple, really. So each player takes one of these dice and throws them onto the triangle. And the number that you've thrown will appear up at the end there. 
on the dice indicator. That's to make absolutely certain that no one can cheat. And you move forward the number that you've thrown. The first one to reach triangle 14 is the winner. Easy, isn't it? So <laughs> it is kind of funny how Cyril is sort of, not the toy maker, but, the, but Cyril is sort of presented like the final boss. It is. Yeah, um, that's kind of odd, actually, as you mentioned it. It would have been much more interesting if the toy maker was their opponent for the last game, huh? Yeah, he should have done, like, oh, I'll do it myself. Because, like, you know, he's had all these incompetence kind of screwing him up. It's like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, like, I'll do the final blow. But no, it's just Cyril. Yeah. Just this man-child that I found very uh, – he made me very uncomfortable. So, last game here, Tardis Hopscotch, which I have to imagine is not a real game, as opposed to some of these other ones that um, are kind of takeoffs on real things. Just, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's a um, just like a board game. Uh, you roll a dice. You roll a die. Uh, whatever roll, whatever shows up on your die, it shows up on like this monitor, so everyone can see it, and it kind of directs you how many spaces you get to go, uh, with some other rules that kind of get thrown in, kind of arbitrarily, because Cyril is a sore loser <laughs> and, and a cheater. Like being behind and a cheater. Yeah. And, you know, um, this is, of course, the only episode that still remains. And so, yeah. you know, is easier that, watch. Easier watch. And we, we, we already kind of broke this part down, actually, at the beginning of this of this of the yeah. episode here. But, you know, yes. they play it. Cyril kind of cheats. Um, you know, it's it established. He establishes rules before, like, anyone has a chance to really, like, plan around them. Like, the whole, like, you can't see on, two people can't be on the same platform, stuff like that. Right, yeah. He lets Steve and Dodo go first, and then he tells them that rule that you can't land on the same platform with someone who has to go back. The floor is electrified, so you got to make sure you stay on, you don't miss your jump. Mm, um, yes. And, and the conclusion is, you know, Dodo's kind of in a good position to win. She has to roll a four, and then she gets into the TARDIS. Um... And Cyril, he has to move back like six. That's right. It's like Cyril's like two away. Yeah, three away. He, he, he almost has it. He almost has it, but then he has to move back six places. And then, you know, Dodo's in good position. And then Cyril's like, oh, no, I'm hurt. Ah. And Dodo's like, Steven's like, okay, just roll, Dodo. And Dodo's like, no, yeah, we have to help like, him. Forget him. And he's like, forget him. Like, he's not even, he maybe like stubbed his toe. Like, what are you doing? Uh, but no, Dodo feels need to go back and help him. And of course, um, then he, you know, that's grounds to get her to go back at the beginning of the game. Oh, that's better. Now, come on, Dodo, you must throw a four. You think he's really hurt? It's another now. trick. Roll the dice. No, he's leaving. He's hurt his foot. We can't just leave. Why? No, I'm going to help him. Dodo! Well, you better take your soft Of course it is. You're so easy to fool, you are. Now you can go back to the start for, losing, for getting out of your triangle and miss a turn. You know, so, you know, he kind of tricks her there, but then he gets hoisted by his own petard, as they say. Yes, he because does. Because while he's running to go go to the TARDIS, he forgot that he oiled up one of his own, one of the, one of the, um, one of the places where you stand, one of the platforms, and he slips off it and electrocutes himself. See ya, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Which again, which again, like Dodo nearly made Steven and herself dolls for the rest of eternity if Cyril wasn't 
accidentally, like, if he didn't like make that one little mistake on his own, they would have lost that game. Yeah, no. Like, like Honestly, she literally. Like, yeah, it, and it's not like it was even a clever ruse by Cyril. No, he just. I liked it because it was funny, and this is other funny stuff. Like, I think Cyril tries to like, like he scares Dota. He puts like a gorilla mask on. Like, it's really <laughs> this is really goofy stuff. I mean, yeah, that's true. But um. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's it's kind of a clever idea, but it's not satisfying because Cyril takes himself out. You, I mean, you nailed it. Yeah. Like he, he even he in Dodo himself. Well, I, I want to say Stephen and Dodo, but mostly Dodo doesn't outwit Cyril. It, no, he, he just fucks. He just fucks up. Yeah, yeah, that's all there is to it. So it's just like you know, I think I would have been okay with this if it was like the second episode. Sure. And then maybe Dodo learns not to be so trusting or something. You know what I mean? But Agreed. like for this to be the finale, it is disappointing. It's a letdown for sure. Uh, all the while we get these cuts, like um, because William Hartnell's back on set, uh, the, the, the toy, ma- toy maker decides the doctor can have his, um, you know, his voice and his body back. So yeah, welcome back, William Hartnell. He gets some. Um, yeah, throughout all this, he gets moved all the way to. Well, by the, in the middle of um, the Cyril Dodo Steven game, he gets moved up to move one thousand. By the time they're all done, he's at move ten twenty two. If I have that right, yeah, he's got one the, more move. The doctor realizes, okay, I'm gonna win. So everything seems to have worked out pretty nicely. Um, what uh, what what happens next? Hold on. Well, so so basically, the toy maker's like, even if you win, you lose. And that's right. Yes. Steven, Steven and Dodo are a bit confused. Like, well, what? No, we just won. What are you talking about? Uh, when the doctor either remembers or realizes, oh, that's right. If the toy maker ever loses, the entire universe that we're in right now immediately collapses and gets destroyed. So even if we win the game, we're going to die. Right. And it kind of becomes this fine, almost like a. Oh, like movies do this all the time, Armageddon and stuff like that. But someone has to be out there to like do the final, final move. This is right. kind of what this kind of this passing gun. And again, there's something they they can do. They do have enough time if they like set the TARDIS to dematerialize right when the game is finished. They can they have like a split second where they can leave if they're all in the TARDIS and it's already preset. Right. But so then but someone, someone has needs to do the, last, the move, last move, right? Which you know Stephen gallantly offers to do. Because he's, uh, he's a good guy like that. I would say, Dodo, get out there. <laughs> but, um, but the doctor has another has another idea. And well, and so, of course, you know, the doctor knows. Oh, um, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and so he he basically imitates the toy maker's voice and commands the final move of the Trilogic game, completing it, and then allows them the split second for them to leave before the universe gets destroyed and then remade again. Because it's clear the Toymaker doesn't die when the universe gets destroyed. He just has to make a new one, which he's not even that bothered by because he said he was bored of this one. Yeah, he seemed cool. This is like, I mean, he didn't seem cool, but he seemed like, ah, I'm fine with this. And I will say, before the Doctor kind of finds his cheat, and I will say, I didn't know that all this behind the scenes drama or like this was sort of crafted in order to kind of get Hartnell fired and trigger a regeneration. Not that they knew what that was going to be just yet, 
the thought occurred to me, uh, well, maybe he makes the last move and then we start out. That's not, not how it came to the past, but it just feels like something's brewing with all this, um, you know, they're kind of de-emphasizing the doctor and Hartnell's health is doesn't seem great. And, uh, you know, the, the active producer of the show at the time uh, hated him. Um, the th- the thought It's been on my mind a lot. I don't know how close or how far we are from it, but uh, unless the ship gets righted here, I feel like I'm going to be on uh, Regeneration Watch <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Yeah. But, of, of course, course you know, we haven't talked at all about uh, Lloyd and Hartnell's relationship yet, and so maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that... Uh, maybe no news is good news as far as that goes. That's true. And again, we've made it two whole eight episodes uh, with no companion changes. So, you know, it feels like there's something resembling stability here now. That's two months worth of episodes. So that's that. And that gets us to the cliffhanger that um, I was referring to before, which I find it's it's this, it's just... <laughs> Oddest, funniest cliffhanger we've had thus far. Uh, at one point, I don't remember this in the episode, but the, a Cyril gave Dodo a bag of sweets. Apparently, they kind of look yeah. like little, like look like little like gobstoppers. I mean, they weren't gobstoppers, but like you know, they look like little like jawbreakers or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe taffy, maybe something softer. And uh, they say, "Hey, hey, we made it out. Like, let's celebrate with some candy," which is kind of a funny idea. I, you never really see them eat outside of like the Romans. Yeah. And then uh, the doc- <laughs> the doctor uh, decides, oh, I'll have a sweet. He puts it in his mouth and um, what happens? <laughs> he immediately clutches his jaw in pain. Oh, no. <laughs> Was it a poison sweet? Or does he just have a toothache? <laughs> hey, let's celebrate with these. With what? Yeah, these. What are those? They're Cyril's sweets. He gave them to me just before the race game. Oh, throw them away, Dodo. I only told you to take them so that we wouldn't waste any more time. Oh, all right. It's really interesting. Last present from the toy maker. <laughs> I wonder. Oh, 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 oh. Doctor, what's wrong? <laughs> I don't... Uh, well, tune in next you're, week. You're going to love the answer, Ryan. Oh, Jesus. So... It is, thus ends a silly, broad, um, four-part serial in the silliest, broadest way possible. And I don't mind silly. I don't mind broad. I, I spoke very highly of the chase uh, in this very space. But uh, this one I felt this was missing uh, more magic and a little bit more sinisterness, I think, outside, instead of, um, yeah, weird vaudeville sketches that go on for too long uh, it felt like the wrong wrong kind of light touch <laughs> and that's jimmy that is the celestial toy maker and that is the end of the john wiles era as well you know yeah, i mean he, he definitely is a, a producer who is not well liked in the fan base and it's obvious why i think yeah um, i guess if i had to rank them i know it's just... <laughs> Almost on, almost like an incomplete score. But I, uh, I guess, I guess the arc, the Matt, 
the massacre could be good if we had more of it to base. Well, and of course, of. he he technically gets the Daleks' master plan, which was wonderful. Oh, but, well, then yeah, that's the one. Yeah, but at the same time, that that was something he was forced to do, and it's really more Dennis Spooner and Terry Nation's project. Yeah, and even Verity Lambert's. She got the wheel set in motion for that one. So technically, it's cheating to give him that one. Yeah, if but, we could, that would be it. But of the three yeah. we have here. And they're not all like total catastrophes. They're just, there's a big thing missing from each of them. And that's. To, and frankly, hard, the big thing missing from them, to me, is the doctor, right? I mean, when you, when you look at. Yes. You know, when, when you look at the, the first two seasons and even the beginning of the, this third season, like the, you know, the doctor's a great character. And so you put him front and center. They learned that in season one. And John Wiles didn't like William Hartnell. So he intentionally put the doctor in the background. I was listening to an older episode of ours, uh, the season two wrap up, where you're, you'd given William Hartnell the MVP award for season two, which was a well earned award. And the reasoning was that, you know, once Ian and Barbara left the show, the show kind of became the story of Doctor Who. He, he's now the main character of his own show. And I feel like less than a season later, that status has to be questioned. Um, the massacre, essentially, the, the William Hartnell is in it, but the doctor is really absent for most of it. And here too, gone for most of it. Even the arc, he's a little de-emphasized. He's there's no real like work. You don't feel him trying to work around him, but I certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't call him the driving force of it. Right. When you and even when you look at um the the you know children of war one the myth makers doctors de-emphasized there as well yeah master plan he's gone for like most of the 10th and 11th episode like he's just but at least in master plan he's in he's in that a lot besides that yes Uh, that is true but again you know and so i do think i do think you have uh you know maybe this is part of the problem with John Wiles and Harnell, as Harnell felt he was being de-emphasized, and it's hard to say he's wrong. No, um, I'm, I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's hard when a, a whole month's worth of work is crafted around trying to get you to lose your job. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Tough scene. Um, and look, Stephen's a fun character, and I'm not sure how to feel about Dodo right now, but I think you, Jackie Lane's a good performer, and I like, I like, I like watching her, but, um, the name on the door is Doctor Who. <laughs> right. But, you know, we ragged on Wiles enough. You know, I do like some of the things he, he went for. I mean, I do think his serials were ambitious, you know, and I, not even including the Dog Semester Plan, even though that was ambitious. But, you know, the Myth Makers, taking it back to uh, Tro- ancient Troy and in, in the massacre, dealing with a pretty heavy subject of... Uh, of the St. Bartholomew's Massacre. Um, even the Ark was really high-minded, and the Celestial Toymaker was a was was an interesting idea. So I do appreciate John Wiles trying to take the show in interesting and different directions. Yeah. You know, the Massacre, the massacre in particular is one that, even though, again, I have to kind of give an incomplete rating to, just the fact that they even had the audacity to make a show around that, particular subject uh, I have to kind of admire that I don't know that it worked out but I think it's something the fact that they're not shying away from darker subject which kind of allows them to do goofier stuff like this I think is something to be admired 
And it kind of goes back to something we were talking about in the wake of the failure of the web planet, where it's like, okay, here's an ambition that struck out. Do they shy away from it or they do they go back up to the bat, you know, and swing away again? And something like the massacre felt like a swing in a different direction, not in scope, but just in terms of like, oh, I didn't even consider that you could do dark material like this on a show like that. Don't know that it worked, but I appreciated the attempt. So, I, yeah, I'm with you. The ambition is to be admired. And I think that's important for all of these first three seasons is there's been a lot of ambition by the people making creative decisions, not always the right decision, but they, they're always trying to do something big and something new. And, and I, I think that's a, a big pro in these early years. Yeah. It keeps it from getting stale. Uh, and, you know, I think especially 60s stuff, which can feel kind of dated. Um, I think having that kind of, yeah, just that kind of changing tides and okay, if these four episodes aren't working out in four you know, four more weeks, there's gonna be a totally different type of show. We can just kind of start over from there. Um it's even when the show is kinda of like not working, it doesn't not work for too long. I don't know if that made any sense. But um that I think that's where that kind of ambition to try new things kind of can really be to its benefit. Right. And who knows, maybe if Wiles stuck around and he was able to repair his relationship with Hartnell, things could have been different. But as it is, this is his contribution to the show. Of course, you know, even though he was not the one who was able to write off William Hartnell, the seed's been planted now, right? You could do it. The show doesn't not, I mean, the show clearly is chugging along even when he's not in episodes. Like, that's not nothing. Right. And so, you know, uh, of course... Maybe it'll be next serial. Maybe it'll be seasons from now. But eventually the show will move on from there right now. And when that happens, maybe we'll come back and, and talk about, you know, did did this drama behind the scenes affect that at all? Yeah, I think once we're done with this era, whenever that end comes, I think a episode kind of going over the era as a whole would be really satisfying and um, therapeutic in a sense. Because uh, it's taking some twists and turns, and sometimes being able to sort through that stuff could be really helpful. You know, you mentioned next serial. Uh, do, do you want to set? Do you want to lay any groundwork for the next serial that we'll be talking about next week? Well, it's the Gunfighters, and it's like going it. to be the the first serial to fully take place in America. USA, USA. Uh, we are in the old West. Figured. Um, yeah, with the Gunfighters, right? Um, yeah. You know, of course, we've been to Manhattan before in The Chase, but that was just kind of a cameo appearance. This is a full-fledged serial there. So we got another historical going on. Of course, um, Western movies and TV shows were really popular in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's been a while. Of course, the serial is intact. It's complete. It's on BritBox. So that's nice. We can actually watch it. Yes. Uh, and it'll be... Interesting to kind of go back and maybe see how the contemporary Western genre kind of informed this serial. Of course, it's going to be the first one uh, where Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis were taking the reins from a fairly early start in the whole process of writing and making it. Um, and it's also the last one where every episode has unique individual titles. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's starting. Starting with the serial afterwards, The Savages, it'll be Savages Part 1, The Savages Part 2, The Savages Part 3. 
well, there goes the major comedy source for this show. <laughs> this we, yeah, we're we're doing. How are we supposed to do? Uh, uh, one last question. You know, we have you mentioned we have been to uh, America before briefly, and now we're coming back to America. Can you confirm or deny that Morton Dill makes another appearance? <laughs> do, you, do you even remember who I'm talking about? Oh yes, you mean the um, the, uh, the other Peter Purvis character? The other Peter Purvis. Uh, I can. I can confirm you will not see Morden Dill again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Darn it. <laughs> That's all right. I can I can survive. Uh, that closes the book for another week, and the TARDIS doors are closed for us as well. Uh, if you like what you heard uh, this week and in previous weeks, and uh, want to hear more. Uh, Rate and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. Five stars uh, would be much appreciated, but um, we'll take honest assessments too. Um, (laughs) Um, What are we supposed to do? Fair enough. Before we go, actually, I have a question for you, Ryan. I want to see if you can guess. Because we were the gunfires from the Old West, but there's a lot in the Old West I think you could tackle for this show. So what do you think it's going to be about for the gunfighter? What, what, uh, so, what historical so, figures and stuff like that? No, Wyatt Earp uh, comes to mind. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, I suppose, a, a civil war, perhaps. You know, I, I got a lot of Leone on the brain, and a lot of his <laughs> westerns kind of took place during like the you know, 1860s and stuff. St- stuff like that. Maybe. Um, who's the? Uh, what's the famous? What's the famous gang? That's not very. That's not very um specific. But uh, people like that. Um, I think I know what gang gang you're talking about. Give me a second. Driving me nuts. I should. I. I'm thinking. Hmm. Yeah. No. I'm thinking of the people. You know, stuff like people that would have been like the movie Tombstone and stuff. Like those kind of guys. Okay. Uh, well, you'll just have to find out when you watch the serial. So I can't tell if they're gonna go with just the obvious stuff, or they're gonna go like totally like off the wall and pick like some obscure sheriff or something. <laughs> but, obscure uh, sheriff who looks exactly like the doctor. Oh my god! But you know what? I'll, uh, you have to wonder. They can't go too broad because I don't know how much of a working knowledge the average uh british kid from the 60s would have about american old well, i mean i could be wrong some, but something to keep in mind is you know america has always exported their movies so i that's true people you know were fairly familiar with the western genre even in britain that's fair uh, doc holiday is that is that someone is that is doc that holiday is of? someone yes is that what i'm thinking of okay something like that um, oh, Jesse James, that's what I'm thinking of. Oh, you're thinking Jesse James, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Just like the most famous outlaw to ever live. It took me <laughs> 20 minutes to come up with it. His name is like Jesse James, it's not like anything, it's like John Smith. No, that's a good question. Um, if you like uh, clear history like that, again, five stars are on the table, I think. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PC Historians. You can follow us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. Uh, we have a website, Pop Cultures Pop Cultures Pop Culture Historians Podcast. Uh, check us out all in those places.
And, uh, oh, life lesson. This is an easy one. And this one's almost uh, sincere. It's one we stumbled upon as we were talking here. And this is something next generation needs to know. You can tell, Jimmy, you can tell your daughter this. And one day, God willing, I'll have a a child to tell uh, this too. The only way sometimes to win a game is to not play at all. And uh, I don't know if it's a lesson that the characters learned uh, this week, but <laughs> it's a lesson that you should learn. So, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to just gotta walk away. No one to fold them. <laughs> Maybe that should be the life lesson. Just listen to the gambler. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all right, uh, that's it. See you guys next week for the gunfighters. The TARDIS doors are closed. Good night. <laughs> Good night.